so today, um, we're actually going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 12. So if you have a Bible or if you want to open up your app and turn to Luke chapter 12, we'll also have it on the screen, um, starting in verse 13. And I'll have it appear on the screen for you uh, as well. So let me read it for you. Uh, starting in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich produce plentifully and and he thought to himself what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops and he said I will do this I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul soul you have ample goods laid up for many years relax eat drink be merry but God said to him fool this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Um, today, we're actually going to just look at the first three verses. But uh, let me give you some context first um, as, as to where we are. So we're in Jerusalem, and Jesus is, is teaching, and it's said, actually, Luke actually writes that there are thousands gathered um, such that they're trampling each other um, in, the, in the temple. Um, and so this is what Jesus was actually preaching on just before the passages we're going to study. He warns against hypocrisy, so he specifically warns against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Then he tells them not to fear persecution, uh, reminding them not to be afraid because of those who kill the body. Instead, they should fear the one who has the power to cast into hell. He reminds them then to realize their value in God. None of them is forgotten by God. The hairs of our heads are numbered, and we are more valuable than sparrows. And then he, tell, and then he reminds them of being a good witness for Christ. Uh, confessing Christ before men means Christ will confess us before the angels of God. Denying Christ before men means Christ will deny us before the angels of God. And speaking a word against the Son of Man and blaspheming the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And finally, he reminds them not to worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit will help them. He tells them not to be afraid uh, or to worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit will help them. And he tells them uh, that even if they're brought before the authorities, uh, the Holy Spirit will teach them what to say. And after he finishes saying this, uh, someone comes along with a demand. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So now let's, let's put ourselves uh, right there as witnesses to this conversation. We know it's crowded because Luke tells us that the crowds who came to hear Jesus were trampling each other. And he's spoken for a bit, and maybe he's uh, finished with one lesson and he's taking a break, or this is just an interval between lessons, and he's transitioning from one to another. Uh, maybe this man was possibly one of, the, one of the people who said he was a follower of Jesus. And some think that this man actually interrupted Jesus because based on Jesus' response, which we'll look at in a few moments, um, it's a rather interesting response, which we'll see. And most likely, this man actually brought his brother with him so that Jesus could settle the matter. 
he calls Jesus teacher, which in the original Greek is didaskalos. Um, that's Greek for teacher, and that also translates into rabbi in the original Hebrew. And according to Deuteronomy and Numbers, the rabbis often settled disputes regarding inheritances. So this guy thought he found the right person to, to bring his grievances to, or so he thinks. So there's a few clues as to who he is. Um, we have a few clues to his backstory. So we know he's not the only child. He mentioned, because he mentions his brother. Um, and we also know that his father has died because he mentions that he has an inheritance. And Jewish law of the time basically said that the firstborn gets a double portion of the inheritance. So you can probably guess which, which uh, son this is. He's definitely the second because he did not get a double portion of the inheritance. So what is his problem? Well, the, the easy answer, obviously, is that he thought his problem had to do with his, his inheritance. Um, but um, he actually has two problems. Well, actually, there's, there's three, but two main ones. Um, his first problem was that he clearly wasn't listening to anything that the Lord Jesus Christ said. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 11 to 15, he who has ears, let him hear. And hearing the words of scripture doesn't actually mean listening. Like, hearing is something we do naturally. We hear the traffic out on Brotherhood Way. We hear the other congregation um, across, across the way. And we know that listening is an intentional act. Listening means paying attention. Listening leads to learning. And even if you have these things sticking out of, out of the side of your head, and I know my former martial arts sensei would be able to wiggle these, I can't. So you just have to imagine that these ears are here and moving around. Um, they don't actually work unless you use them. And scripture what it's, and what it says about salvation and the development of our spiritual maturity doesn't work by osmosis. A wandering mind, a distracted mind, a mind that's focused on worldly things can't absorb spiritual truths. And I'm, we're not talking about being tired in church. We all have distractions right now. Some of us are thinking about lunch. Some of us have work obligations. Some of us have family obligations. Um, or there, and there's, there's, really, there's nothing wrong with that, so long as you take what you hear during the, during the lessons that are presented here during worship and you take it with you once you leave this place. I've, I've visited many churches during my travels and everyone is, is in the mood for worship. The, the music gets them revved up. But once they step outside the, thre the threshold of the church and the sun hits their head, it's almost like the sun just bleaches their memory and just wipes it all out. And they're a totally different person after hearing, a, hearing the lesson. They remember the worship song, but not the sermon itself. Um, and it's interesting, there's a, um, there's a journalist named Johan Hari, and he said that he attended Elton John's last concert in Las Vegas, and he had an interesting observation about that concert. He basically said that uh, half the people at that concert were not even looking at Elton John during, while he was singing. They were looking at their phones. They were, they were distracted. And so Paul reminds us in Romans 10:17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But this man, he didn't hear anything of, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ said. And, and one of the things that I had learned when I first got the job that I have now, uh, was something that they warned us about is called confirmation bias. And this is when we search for or we favor information that only supports our beliefs. We look for biased information. We look for biased interpretation. We have a biased memory recall. And if, if, if you want an example from Jesus' time, you just have to think of of the phrase that was common, nothing good can come from Nazareth. That was a, 
That's an example of confirmation bias during his time. So this guy who comes to Jesus with his problem is focused on what he wanted. And in his confirmation bias mind, he believed that Jesus could give him what he wanted, which leads us to his second problem. He was greedy. And the Bible refers to this as covetousness. So he wasn't content with what he was given. He wanted more. He was jealous. And he was probably thinking, he said, well, why is it fair that, that the older brother gets two-thirds and I only get one-third? The law is unfair. The law has cheated me. And Jesus is going to make my situation right. Instead of thinking, like using a sparrow analogy, that God will take care of him, he thinks he needs more. He covets what his brother has. And he's clearly forgotten the 10th commandment. And does anyone remember how the 10th commandment starts? I just kind of gave you a, a hint. Thou shalt not covet. That's how the 10th commandment begins. So that's exactly what this guy was doing. He was coveting what his brother had. And when you covet something, you have a strong desire for something that isn't yours. It becomes your obsession, just like Gollum was craving the one ring. And many a scholar have said that when you covet something, it becomes your idol, it becomes your precious, just like the ring was to Gollum. Um, Proverbs chapter 21, verses 25 through 26 say, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse labor. All day long he craves and craves. Or in Joshua chapter 7, verses 21 to tw uh, 20 to 21, so Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against Yahweh, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. I saw the spoil, a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. And because Achan had done this, Israel had actually lost a battle against one of their adversaries, and it wasn't until... Um, the, these spoils were discovered in Achan's tent, and Achan was stoned that God once again favored the Israelites and helped them win a battle. Uh, Isaiah 56, verse 11, And the dogs have a strong appetite. They do not know satisfaction. And they are shepherds who do not know understanding. They have all turned their, to their own way, each one to his greedy gain, to the last one. And finally, Psalm 10, verse 3, for the wicked boasts of his soul's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns Yahweh. Greed and covetous make us think, uh, covetousness makes us think of only one thing, ourselves, just like this man uh, in these verses. And some of us, maybe we can say, can we really blame him, though, 2,000 years ago, or, or even now? Maybe his brother was flaunting that inheritance, and he was saying, oh, Look how much land I have. Oh, look at my estate. You, little brother, you don't, you don't have that, do you? Or maybe he knew other people who were not Jews, um, whose inheritance was divided more equally. Or maybe it was the Pharisees themselves. They set a bad example for the people. They were, in fact, greedy and they liked attention. And I'd like to read for you from Matthew chapter 23. Um, and every time the Lord Jesus Christ says the word woe, it actually translates into the words judgment. Um, so Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by this oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And skipping forward to verse 23. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So when, when those we look we look up to don't model Christian character, it won't be long before we start acting like them. The, the Pharisees were in power for, for 500 years. That's a lot of time for the subtleness of wrong religion just to, just to seep into the Jewish culture. And suddenly things go from worship God to worship self or from 10 commandments to 600 laws and you have to follow those 600 laws so that you can get to heaven. Or from taking a role like the Pharisees had which which should have been serving the people to a role where they were being served by the people. Uh, from a religious position that should have been one of poverty and humility to instead one of wealth and pride and self-aggrandizement. They had such a prestigious position that the people actually admired them. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a goal for some people to be a Pharisee because they, they were looked up to, they were, they were respected. But if only the people stopped to think that the ones they admired were immoral in every sense of the word. Um, I'll, I'll give you a modern example of what this might be like. Uh, in the 1980s, there was a gentleman named Ivan Bosky. He was uh, sent to prison for three and a half years and fined $100 million for insider trading. Before he was arrested, uh, he was speaking at a university graduation and he said the following words. He said, greed is all right. I want you to know I think greed is healthy. You can be greedy and still feel good, good about yourself. And so a Newsweek reporter uh, later wrote, the strangest thing when we look back will not be just that Ivan Bosky could say those words at a business school graduation, but that it was greeted with laughter and applause. Or to, to paraphrase from, from a movie, and we'll get to the third point in a moment, but substituting greed for madness. Greed, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Um, or perhaps uh, there's another example we can, we can relate to. When someone wins a lottery, and I know a lot of people were excited because the jackpot was over a billion dollars. I don't, I don't exactly know what the exact number was, and apparently someone did win. But you know the old joke, when someone wins a lottery, they suddenly find out that they have relatives that they never knew existed. Um, they have uh, estranged family members who suddenly want to make peace. They have friends who start to treat them like royalty. And it's times like these when someone, when, it, when our true character is revealed, especially when someone else's success makes us envious of them. And that's how the first murder in human history came about when Cain murdered his brother Abel because God accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Abel offered the best of his flocks to God. Cain, it's believed, withheld the best offering from God. 
Uh, and, in his, and in a book um, titled Goodbye Things by Fumio Sasaki, he actually writes, uh, if you want to know how to make yourself instantly unhappy, compare yourself to someone else. And going back to Johan Hari, who's a journalist I mentioned who was at the Elton John concert, um, and the one in where he observed that uh, everyone was, or at least half the room was watching this concert on their phone. Basically what they were doing was they had their phones out and they were taking selfies of themselves watching Elton John, with Elton John in the background and them in the foreground. They were uploading all these, all these selfies and videos uh, to social media. And you know, the, the truth of the matter, and this is what Johan Hari says, is that no one's really gonna care about about your video of Elton John because probably half the people in watching the concert are also uploading their videos and probably some of the, some if not most of those people uploading the videos probably have better videos than yours and you're probably not gonna watch it anyway because you just want other people to see it and what you want people to see is you there and you want them to envy you. And that's the danger of social media. It's, it, the, the danger of that is that because it creates an environment of envy it creates an environment where everyone wants to one-up the other person. Um, so regardless of this man's motivation, it, it's how he responds um, to these circumstances that brought him to Jesus that day. Which brings about his third problem is that he misunderstood Jesus' mission. And so now it's Jesus' turn to respond to him. So he's, the Lord Jesus Christ says, uh, but he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over the two of you? So the implication here is that he actually did bring his brother with him to settle this, this issue. And it's interesting that Jesus addresses him as man um, because it, it's not a casual address like bro or dude or sister. Um, the word that's used here is a Greek word, anthropos, which while it does literally translate into man, there's a deeper connotations in the original Greek. Um, it has the added connotation of implying weakness, meaning that human beings are weak and susceptible to sin um, or making mistakes. It also has a connotation of addressing someone with disdain and, and or pity, and an additional connotation of the twofold kind of um, nature of man. We have a benevolent side and a, an evil side. We have a side that... Uh, can potentially avoid sin and a side that is extremely sinful. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was not addressing this man with any sort of compassion. It was not a cordial response. It was a very, very unsympathetic response. And so his response is also unusual at first glance when he says, who made me arbiter or judge and arbiter over you? And this statement will, will probably stop the man in his tracks. It actually st will probably stop a few of us in our tracks because we're probably thinking, well, isn't he supposed, Jesus supposed to be our judge? Well, yeah, that's true. He's going to be our final judge in the end. But while here on earth, Jesus was pointing us towards heaven. He wanted the Jews and the Gentiles of 2,000 years ago and us today to realize that the petty things that we value here on earth really don't matter much. Thus, he wasn't interested in getting involved in earthly squabbles because those things really don't matter in eternity. I mean, how often have some of us prayed, Lord, please make that person apologize to me. Or, Lord, you know, I, I, missed, I missed my train. I'm going to get into trouble. You know, you're, you're God. You can, you can change time. You can do things for me. Or, taking an example from a few days ago, Lord, you know, that jackpot is pretty big. 
and uh, you can make sure that I win it, and you'll get the first fruits, you'll get, you'll, you'll get 10%, you're God, you can do anything, right? But Jesus knew, as, as he always does, that this man wanted Jesus to see specifically to, to his needs, but in the wrong way. Uh, this man wanted an advocate. He didn't want an arbiter. He wanted someone to take his side, regardless of what the evidence was, regardless of what the law said. Uh, he wanted Jesus to serve him and his needs. Maybe he, was, maybe he had heard Jesus say that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to, not, not to be served, but to serve. And we all know this, that some of the modern churches, especially in prosperous countries like our own, still, consciously or not, think of God the Father and God the Son as the genie in the bottle. And as for the Holy Spirit, well, I mean, sometimes they don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. You know, the pastor at, a, at a, a church that I formerly attended was complaining because he kept getting these targeted ads on Facebook that, that were advertising new technology that the church could use, that another church was using, or like a sound system, a presentation system um, to draw in, in new members. And, and even that is starting to cause church envy nowadays. Social media is starting to cause church envy. And, then, and, it, starts, and it, it starts that situation of where, well, I want my church to be like that now. I don't, I don't want us to be where we are. I, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous of, of, of how that church is. We need to be like them. And some modern churches will even have, let's say, a sports star take the stage and tell stories about how God has blessed them with win after win after win. And God will do the same thing for the congregation. Or they'll bring up um, a successful business person who'll take the podium and talk about God has so richly blessed them with a thriving business and several homes and a private jet and several yachts and a warehouse full of, full of cars and God will do the same thing for the congregation. Um, and yes, God has blessed people with physical talent and with business savvy and the know-how to generate wealth, but that's not for everyone. Um, God blesses us differently, and for a vast majority of us, it doesn't, and it will not lead to riches, the things that the world deems as important. So thinking back to the example that Jesus used of the sparrow and how God the Father takes care of them, are you in a position spiritually and mentally to live poor as the world defines it, or at least how the Western world, the prosperous world, defines it, knowing that God will take care of you. Um, a few of my friends uh, know uh, Derek Carrier. He's, uh, I believe he's with special, I don't watch, I, I'm not into football, but I was told he's special teams with, a, with the Raiders. Um, and Derek Carrier apparently announced his retirement. And it's very interesting that he said he's going into full-time ministry. He's going from a career that made him popular granted him a lot of money to, to something that the world really ignores. Someone going into ministry, someone caring about the poor, someone caring about ministering to others, to those who haven't heard the word. That's, that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and also, the this same, this same folks who know Derek Carrier also know Derek Carr. And it's, it's no secret that Derek Carr, who's a quarterback for the Raiders, when he retires, he will go into into full-time ministry as a, as a preacher. And it's not just lip service. He's actually taught before at his home church. Um, so knowing, so 
Is that, is that a decision that some of us can make, taking that leap, knowing that God will take care of us? Because having more doesn't solve the problem what this man had. If J Jesus did arbitrate this squabble between him and his brother, that would have solved the temporary problem where the real problem, the long-term problem, was the condition of this man's heart. And instead of thinking of peace and love with his family, this man was thinking of prosperity and division. Instead of serving, he wanted to be served. Instead of giving, he only thought of taking. And so now, after Jesus rebukes this man, he issues a stern warning. Then he said to them, watch out and guard yourselves against every form of greed. For not even when one has an overflowing abundance does his life consist of, nor is it derived from his possessions. So this is a warning not just to the man and his brother, but to everyone listening. And it's actually more than just a warning, it's a command. Um, how many of us actually think that having wealth is something that's hazardous to our health? Spiritual health and physical health. That's because modern society tells us that the measure of a man, the measure of a woman, is in what they possess, an expensive car, uh, a fancy title, a large house or two, a million likes on social media, uh, a job that has a title that's really awe-inspiring. When the spiritual reality is that the measure of a man or a woman is how Christ-like their character is instead of what they possess. The measure of a person is not in what they possess or their reputation, but in their character. And the original Greek word for watch out, in other translations it's beware, uh, is the word horeo, which does mean see with the eyes, but it also means to perceive, it means to recognize, it means to pay mental and spiritual attention or to take heed. It's actually similar to a Japanese word called zanshin. Um, and the best way to describe that terminology is you're driving on the highway and you're aware of everything that's going on around you. You're aware of the cars that are on your side. You're aware of the cars in front of you. You're aware at any time that someone could change lanes and not look and cut you off. That's, that's what that means. And the original Greek word for guard is phylaso. And it's command to keep watch, to guard yourself, or to guard someone like you're a prison guard keeping watch over them unless they, in, in the event that they try to escape. Um, and it's similar to, to the old fencing command, which we're all familiar with, on guard, um, where you hold your, your sword at a guard position uh, to prevent anyone from coming in and attacking you. And um, it's not like the movies, unfortunately, where they just love to, to cross swords like this. Um, in fencing, if you've ever done it before, is the moment your sword tips cross like this, someone's going to get hurt. Um, and it could be you or it could be your opponent. Or perhaps a better way to look at this on guard concept is, is a life question. And this is by the late professor William Henriksen who wrote the following about the ver this verse on the screen. This is a most earnest warning. Let every listener take it to heart. Let him begin to take inventory. Let him make it his serious business to ask himself again and again, am I perhaps a greedy individual? Do I experience joy in giving, in helping along good causes, or am I perhaps a selfish person? Do I have an inordinate yearning for material possessions, for honor, prestige, for power, position? Briefly, am I greedy? 
Or let's listen to these words by C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity, where he writes, take it with money. Greed will certainly make a man want money for the sake of a better house, better holidays, better things to eat and drink, but only up to a point. What is it that makes a man with 10,000 pounds a year anxious to get 20,000 pounds a year? It is not the greed for more pleasure. So 10,000 pounds um, in C.S. Lewis's time today is $200,000. That's the conversion. So Lewis continues, 10,000 pounds will give all the luxuries that any man can really enjoy. It is pride, the wish to be richer than some other rich man, and still more, the wish for power. For of course, power is what pride really enjoys. There is nothing that makes a man feel so superior to others as being able to move them around like toy soldiers. Uh, in our text, the Greek word for covetousness is uh, pleonexia, and per the scholars, it literally means to have more, and it describes a strong, insatiable desire to acquire possessions for self, especially those things we have no right to possess. The desire to have more is irrespective of the need, and thus the word is never used in a good sense. Pleonexia has been defined as a spirit which snatches at that which is not, which is not right to take and has no right to take the destructive appetite for that which belongs to others. It is a spirit which snatches at things, not to hoard them like a miser, but to spend them in lust and luxury. In a worldly, in a worldly glory and a plethora of thumbs up from our followers, which makes us just crave more and more of what the world wants and crave less and less of God. And one final story by Pastor R. Kent Hughes. So R. Kent Hughes writes this, a story that my college English professor related to the freshman class sounded like it had been scripted by Tennessee Williams, but it was her own real life drama. She and her five sisters had grown up in a small Midwestern town during the depression where her father, despite the difficulties of the time, rose to become a successful banker. She had gone off to university, but her sisters stayed close to home, married and settled down. She likewise married and taught on the West Coast. When her aging father died, she and her husband hurried home for the funeral. As they comforted, comforted her poor mother, they noticed in mute amazement that everything in the house had been tagged by the other sisters with their names, Judy's, Margaret's, Anne's. She and her husband were appalled but said nothing. The table was set and the dinner was served amidst mounting tension and awkward conversation. There were long periods of acrimonious silence. Then her husband stood, stepped behind her mother's chair, and said, everyone's tagged what they want. We're placing our tag on what we want. And he placed his hands on their poor, poor mother's shoulders. And he continues writing, greed is always ugly. Covetousness can turn a family's mutual mourning into an orgy of hatred. So what can we learn from this man's example? Well, the, the first thing is that Hearing isn't the same as listening. Scripture um, is food for our souls. Jesus, and, and Jesus is, is, a, is the feast, is the breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert for our souls. And uh, it is prudent for us to, to remember to actively listen. 
Um, because in, in the first century after Jesus was taken up to heaven, um, followers, his followers, just like us, we got, they gathered together just to hear the word, just to hear the word interpreted, to learn about the character of this man who walked the earth, God in human flesh, because it's his character that we should emulate. And the second thing is, is do you allow the world to skew your view of Jesus' mission? Um, so the author of Hebrews urges us to be free of the love of money and to be content with what you have. Because if you think about it, covetousness is the opposite of faith. Covetousness is saying that I desire what someone else has because I don't trust what God has, has already given me or the place that God has placed me or the people that God has put in my life. Next is, how will you invest your life? Uh, we know the old saying that he who dies with the most toys, but you know, the continuation of that saying is he who dies with the most toys still dies. And according to Rabbi Hyman Schachtel, he says, happiness is not having what you want, but wanting what you have. I mean, the, the, the newest iPhone won't make you be any better. Power, recognition, reputation, these things are as much possessions as they are material things that we crave. Um, and it's, it's something that we have trouble admitting to ourselves. Like modern society wants us to think that we're significant because of what we own or, or where we work or where we live or what our job title is. And so finally, where will your story go from here? We actually don't know how this man's story ended. Um, C.S. Lewis again says that Pride leads to every other vice, from lust to greed to unchastity to anger to drunkenness to envy. And when we realize the pride that is in people, and we see that it's the root cause of a lot of sin and a lot of vices, um, then we should stop giving in to thoughts like, I don't want people to think I'm poor because of the house that I have, because of the job that I have, because of the car that I drive. I want a big home with a big yard and a two or three car garage so that everyone can see that I have affluence. I want that person's job because everyone thinks it's an awesome job to have. Well, when, when we let go of, of what pride causes, we're, we're actually going to be more content. So I want to flip things around a bit here. So obviously, we can put pride in the blank spot here. Pride, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Envy as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. But let's flip it around. Faith, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Love, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Hope, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, all of these are like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Um, so that we'll uh, look at the rest of the parable next time. Um, John will be back here next week. But I just wanted to say that may, may the words that the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ spoke and the words of Scripture be the push that you need today.